Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 151. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week on the Drabblecast, the celebration of weird science. Too much of our scientific inquiry these days is burdened down with significance, you know? Would it be nice to have a vaccine for the Ebola virus? Sure. Better defense technology? Go ahead. Alternative energy research? Fuel-efficient cars? Cloning dinosaur DNA for eventual commercial exploitation? Listen, nobody's saying that these aren't all good and important things we're doing, but why does scientific inquiry have to stop there? What if we had cars that ran off of hamster wheels? Huh? I'm just saying. You're rolling your eyes. You're trying to imagine four little hamster wheels holding up an El Camino or something, aren't you? That's because you don't think outside the box like I do. This is a hamster car we're talking about, people. Do you have any idea how weak hamsters are? You're going to need way more than four wheels, or you're going to have to have bigger wheels with dogs inside them. Really, it's just a matter of experimentation. And that's what science is all about. Well, fortunately, there is a group of people out there engaged in awesome scientific inquiry just like this. We bring you Drabble News. Check this. The Ig Nobel Prizes. Special thanks to Groom Porter for posting this in our discussion forums. The Ig Awards are put on by an organization called Improbable Research, which is a vast, happy, open conspiracy of scientists, journalists, teachers, students, and all sorts of other people living in many countries. The Ig Nobel Prizes honor achievements that make people laugh, and then make them think. The prizes are intended to celebrate the unusual, honor the imaginative, and spur people's interest in science, medicine, and technology. The winners come to a gala ceremony at Harvard University's Sanders Theater, and then give public lectures at MIT. Ready to hear some of the winners this year? The prize in medicine to Donald Unger of Thousand Oaks, California, for investigating a possible cause of arthritis of the fingers by diligently cracking the knuckles of his left hand every single day, but never cracking the knuckles of his right hand for more than 60 years. Jeez, I almost want to do a whole Drabble News segment just on this guy. I'll cut right to the chase, though, because I know you're wondering. No disparity between the hands. That's right, folks. Now you can enjoy your annoying compulsion without any fear of consequence. Green light, baby. It's all good now. Why stop with the knuckles? Give your scapula a good pop. Or your coccyx. Feels good. Next, we have the public health prize given to Elena Bodnar for inventing a brazier, or titty slang for those of us who don't speak Francais, that in a bioemergency can be quickly converted into a pair of protective face masks, one presumably for the bra wearer, and one to be given to a needy man, preteen, or lesbian bystander. Better start being nice to your girlfriends, fellas. If we do get an outbreak of Ebola, she might just decide that her left boob deserves support more than you. Next, we have the Biology Prize, given to Fumiaki Taguchi, Song Guafu, and Zong Kanglika Japanese name, for demonstrating that kitchen refuse can be reduced more than 90% in mass by using bacteria extracted from the feces of giant pandas. Wow. Uh, okay, that's great and all, but what about those of us who'd like to see some of the giant panda feces reduced in our kitchens? Huh? You're just adding to the problem here, fellas. Thanks, but no thanks. 
Next, we have the winner of the chemistry prize, Javier Morales, Miguel Apatiga, and Victor M. Castaño of Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México for creating diamonds from liquid, specifically from tequila. They may only be nanometric in size, but still, that probably just means you haven't drank enough yet. Wow, that is pretty cool. Now, if they start making diamonds out of panda feces, I'll be really impressed. And rich. And there's more, folks. You should see some of the ones that didn't win. Improbable Research's site is at improbable.com. Go look around. It'll be up your alley. So, next order of celebration. The Birthday Party by Josh Roseman. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. Josh lives in Georgia, and he makes things on the internet for a living. His fictions previously appeared in Air Out My Shorts and the Doonstief Audio Fiction Magazine. He also reads lines and edits stories for the Doonstief, and he's been heard on Nobilis Erotica. You can Google him, but you'd probably find Josh Roseman the trombonist instead. That dude is really good at SEO. Better to just visit rosemanplus.com. How was the party? Awesome, Dad. I got a hole-in-one at mini-golf, and... And the windmill exploded into shrapnel? No, Dad. I, I won this free game coupon. Oh. What else? Well, I tried roller skating, and... And you clotheslined the other children, laughing at their pain. N no, Dad. He sighed. Was the cake poisoned, at least? I looked at his hopeful face mostly covered by a silver mask, one eye brown but the other cloudy white. Yes, Dad, I made sure. Excellent. Dad started up the spider bot, which rose on piston-powered legs, clomping toward the street, crushing three cars on the way. Spider bot. Why has nobody made one of those yet? Seriously, people, come on. Same thing goes with the Technodrome. It's like the awesomest fortress ever. We've got the technology. Someone just freaking make one already. So our feature story this week comes to us from Daniel LaMole, and it's called The Society of Eccentric Mustaches. Anyone who's been following the show knows that mustaches hold a special place in our heart here at the Drabblecast. We appreciate that they make our heart look like Burt Reynolds. Daniel LaMole hails from Winnipeg, Manitoba, his work has appeared on On Spec, Apex Science Fiction and Horror, Alan Datlow's The Best Horror of the Year anthology, and the upcoming 2010 edition of 52 Stitches. And we're happy to have this delightfully strange story here on the Travelcast. So without further ado, The Society of Eccentric Mustaches by Daniel LaMole. Paul Redding finally found Mr. Zephyr at the Kid Cat Club, nursing a glass of cheap-smelling scotch. As with most of the full-fledged members of the traditional mages' society, Zephyr wore his stage clothes 24-7. His attire consisted of a purple silk shirt with a hastily embroidered Z on the breast pocket, glittery silver suspenders, and unique facial hair. A minimalist mustache that closely resembled two jumping caterpillars. Oh yes, it's Mr. Paul Redding, the leech. 
Zephyr sputtered with a bitter edge. As he drank, the left side of his mustache made contact with the scotch and promptly went limp. Stalking me as usual? I had no choice, Paul said politely. You stole my car. Well, yes, the role of an apprentice is to facilitate the performances of his mentor, be it assisting on stage or providing transportation to and from engagements, Zephyr slurred. That show was two weeks ago, Mr. Zephyr, Paul said. You left me stranded at a Mason's convention. Ah, well, I owe you nothing, Zephyr shouted, throwing a swizzle stick at Paul. Oh, I beg to differ, Paul said, closing his eyes. If I am indeed your apprentice, as you just stated seconds ago, then we are bound by society rules. I have paid my dues, demonstrated acumen for specified tricks of increasing difficulty, cards, coins, handkerchiefs, birds, every possible test of close-up magic. And more importantly, Mr. Zephyr, I've driven you around town for the past two years. Once in a while, you have to hold up your end of the bargain. Fine then, Zephyr said, casting his empty glass aside. Play the union card. No point in getting drunk now anyways, since you had to come along with your smudgy face and ruin everything. Paul stared at Zephyr in puzzlement as the elder magician stood up and headed for the door. Where are you going now? Paul asked. The rookery, Zephyr sighed. Come along if you want your bloody mentoring session. To Paul's chagrin, they had to walk to the rookery. Yes, well, it seems that I don't know where your car is. I might have lost it, Zephyr said. Or was it magic? (laughs) Yes. Like the Kid Cat Club, the rookery was located on the city's street level, amongst the cheap noodle stands and pirate music shops. The sidewalks and streets were coated with refuse and grime, all dumped from the multi-storied offices, sky malls, and apartment buildings that loomed overhead. The fact that the rookery was on street level was a reflection on the status of magic itself. The art form was largely relegated to street shows and the odd charity gig. Glitzy stage magic was all but extinct, thanks to technology. Yes, people aren't impressed with levitation and teleportation anymore, Mr. Zephyr often lamented. Not when a hollow vision can plop Genghis Khan in the center of their living room. Close-up technique was magic's last stand in the endless assault of high-tech entertainment. It relied solely on sleight of hand and misdirection. But close-up didn't pay the bills. The rookery's stucco facade was plastered with several epochs of graffiti, while the stench of mold permeated the interior. Inside the rookery was a modest museum of magic, a few bare offices, and a members-only lounge. The latter room was the only part of the building that members still bothered to visit. While Zephyr dove into a glass of draft, Paul sulked quietly over tonic water. Yes, why are you so quiet all of a sudden? Zephyr said. I'm tired of getting tossed aside, Paul said. I've put years into this apprenticeship and you're still ditching me. Why did you even agree to the arrangement in the first place? 
Yes, well, you were a promising talent. You certainly had the hands for it. Zephyr said, his eyes suddenly seemed to be staring into the past. Yeah, but a lot of time has passed since then. So, Paul said, what has changed? Well, I'm going to cut to the chase, Zephyr said. You'll never make it as a magician. You just don't have the mustache for it. What in the hell is that supposed to mean? Paul said. Is that some kind of awkward metaphor? Oh no, I'm speaking quite literally, my baby-faced apprentice, Zephyr said grimly. Take a look around. What do you see on virtually every face? Paul examined the dozen or so magicians at various tables for several minutes. Just when Zephyr was about to give up and leave, Paul spoke. They all have eccentric facial hair. Well, at last your eyes have opened, Zephyr said. While they are certainly of variable quality. Zephyr paused and tilted his head towards the mysterious Tarkenton, who had a mustache that could have been made with a glass of chocolate milk. Although Tarkenton was across the room, he stared balefully at Zephyr, as though he could sense the insult. Everyone has at least a bit of grass growing in the front yard. What does this have to do with being a good magician? Paul said. Misdirection, my boy, Zephyr said. Just like the wand, another means of controlling the audience's eyes. Mustaches, beards, or mutton chops, they're all magic wands. If I'm having an off day, all I do is point to my mustache, and everyone in the room will look in that direction. At that moment, Roz Azarad entered the room to a symphony of gasps. He had obviously been honing his facial hair for months. It was though a hairy lobster had attached itself to the lower portion of his face. Good God, Zephyr said in awe. Now that's a dandy. If this wasn't so stupid, I'd be offended, Paul said, pounding the table. I've got the hands, the stage presence, the desire. Who needs a bloody mustache? It's the fine hair that separates the good from the great, Zephyr said. And in the society, there is no room for good. Doesn't quite cut it. So I can't grow facial hair. Surely the face has other means of misdirection, Paul said. A birthmark, a mole. What about a big nose? I've definitely got that. Zephyr patted Paul's shoulder condescendingly and sighed. What? It's enormous. Look at it. Fine, don't take my word for it, Zephyr said as he ushered Raz Azarad over to the table. Brother Azarad, would you help settle an argument? Paul seems to be of the opinion that he has a large nose. I beg to differ. Roz Azarad examined Paul's nose from every conceivable angle before uttering a verdict. Yeah, I'm inclined to concur with Brother Zephyr, Roz Azarad said. It's not a large nose by any means. Really, it's, it's only medium-sized, and that's because you keep flaring your nostrils. As Roz Azarad left the table, Paul relaxed his nostrils and hung his head. There, there, Mr. Zephyr said. Zephyr International will always have plenty of birthday parties booked. 
Paul shuddered involuntarily. Nine times out of ten, Zephyr was a no-show for birthday parties, forcing Paul to entertain a horde of ADD adult brats on his own. Inevitably, he would end up performing card tricks for the child's parents, while the children played the latest holographic game. In fact, Zephyr continued, we've got a booking for a large outdoor party a few weekends from now. Meet me here next Friday, 2 p.m. to discuss the details. As Paul walked home, navigating through street vendors and riffraff, a modest strip mall business caught his eye. The sign employed an understated font, similar to that of a doctor's office. The men's mod shop, specializing in augmentations for adult entertainment, skin, hair, other male enhancements. The front window was filled with glossies of attractive male strippers, a veritable catalogue of leather chaps, bow ties, and manly displays of facial hair. Catching the reflection of his barren face in the window, Paul compared himself with one glossy in particular, a cowboy posing triumphantly behind a finely honed Garibaldi. Paul's stomach churned with a mixture of envy and inadequacy. Today, he told the cowboy, the seeds of my future success will be sown. Determined, Paul made his way into the nearly deserted waiting room and reached the front desk. He was greeted by a gentleman who could have dropped straight out of a wine advertisement. The man's chin was adorned with a dignified royale. Despite his superior facial hair, the attendant listened to Paul's predicament with a sympathetic ear. I mean, surely my career can't be scuttled by a minor genetic impairment, Paul said. Oh, and it won't, the attendant shushed. Your credit looks fine, so all you have to do now is ask yourself one question. Grafts, chems, or DNA? Paul remembered little of the procedure other than the anesthesia-induced dream he had. He was naked and running up the face of an immense mountain. Heinrich Zephyr was close behind, riding the largest grizzly bear Paul had ever seen. As Paul entered the Rookery's Lounge, returning for the first time in almost a week, he felt all eyes upon his face. Even the unflappable Roz Azarad looked aghast. Paul found Zephyr at his usual table. I can't make the birthday party, Paul said, for reasons that should be quite obvious. Oh, right, Zephyr said, peering through the sea of facial hair in search of Paul's eyes. Buggered your DNA, did you? Good guess, Paul said, sitting down. How long has it been since you shaved your forehead? Zephyr asked. Twenty minutes, Paul sighed. I'm considering litigation against the mod shop's proprietors. Well, well, you know what this means, Zephyr said. That is a direct violation of the society's rules. Body modification of any sort runs against our founding principles of tradition over technology. I understand, Mr. Zephyr, Paul said, his voice breaking. At least the unruly hair hid his trembling lip. The other magicians averted their eyes as though he had ceased to exist. 
all except Mr. Zephyr, who casually slid a cocktail napkin to Paul. As Paul read the note, the elder magician left the table. The note read, Yes, I think I still... Oh, I think I may still have something for you. Can't talk here. Kid Cat Club, 3 p.m. In the darkness of Zephyr's mystery box, Paul could feel his facial hair growing by the second. Outside, he could hear Zephyr's histrionic monologue, fueled with a vigor that hadn't been there in years. Your Worship, Mr. Mayor, Miss Mayor, Lady of the Day Tiffany, boys and girls who are here as Tiffany's guests, I have harnessed the power of the moon's rays in my mystery books, the remnants of what was once a man. Behold, the lichen. On this cue, Paul burst forth from the box and found himself in the mayor's palatial backyard. Children immediately scattered in all directions. He chased the mayor's daughter several times around the circumference of a sizable swimming pool, making her squeal with terror and delight. The mayor and his wife indicated their approval with elongated golf claps. Fear not, Zephyr bellowed as he stood upon his upended mystery box and waved a silver amulet. For I possess the one artifact of magic that contains such a beast. Lycan, I command you to stay. Shaking with humiliation and rage, Paul stopped and stared down his former mentor. It was quite obvious that when it came to his relationship with Zephyr, the magic was truly gone. Fighting the urge to howl, Paul stalked towards Zephyr and raised his hands. Stay, Lycan, Zephyr repeated. The amulet should work its magic any second now. Paul was only a few feet away when the elder magician lost his nerve. Zephyr tossed the amulet at Paul and began to run as fast as his booze-addled legs could carry him. He promptly collided with the mayor's daughter and toppled to the cement pool deck. In the distance, Paul could see the mayor's bodyguards running across the lawn, reaching into their jackets. Amidst a cacophony of crying children and tranquilizer darts slicing through the air, Paul pounced on the magician and reached for that gloriously eccentric mustache. And as the two caterpillars stood in exclamation, ready to abandon ship, Heinrich Zephyr screamed. That's what I call a birthday party. Sure beats getting poisoned. Speaking of parties, let's do story feedback for a tale we ran a couple weeks ago called Teddy Bears and Tea Parties by S. Boyd Taylor. This twisted tale didn't do much for people not into horror, but everyone else seemed to love it. It's battling right now in our top five stories for 2009 in the Drabblecast People's Choice Awards, which, by the way, if you're a member of our discussion forums, you should participate in. Head over there now and support your favorite story. Our forums are linked from our main page at drabblecast.org. Vagrant said, Wow, nothing like a story about killing teddy bears and eating them to make one feel warm and fuzzy. 
Dreamrock said, This story for me is about the fact that all life consumes all other life. Every time we sit down for a meal, we're eating a human, cat, crow, or wombat. If we take some of the decomposition and reassimilation out of the picture, the cycle of life is grotesque. Everything eats and everything tricks. Oh, various gods, I want to memorize the last few lines of the story. The whole thing was dripping with such beautiful imagery. Internal Logic said, That was incredible. Putting aside liked it or didn't like it, or it made me happy or laugh for a moment, this story was incredible just on the basis of sheer imagination and craftsmanship. How the images and the words that made up the images were assembled and strung together. It was very effectively done. We love hearing your feedback. Jump into our forums and let us know what you're thinking. Time for this week's 100-character TwitFic winner. The winner of this week's story is Alien Suitcase, with this bizarre short. When Grandma passed, Grandpa started wearing her dresses and makeup. The holidays sure got weird when Tranma stopped by. Follow us on Twitter and you can get those puppies early each week. Special thanks to this week's episode artist, Aaron Cambridge. Aaron runs a graphic design and print company in Elk Grove, California, that specializes in creating powerful business branding and identity for developing companies in Northern California and supplying high-quality printing at affordable prices. You can see more of Aaron's work at www.cambridgestudios.net or search for Cambridge Studios on Facebook. So that's our show, folks. It's produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, just share it as much as you like. If you enjoyed this week's story, consider making a donation to us via the donation options off of our main site, drabblecast.org. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, asking you, grafts, chems, or DNA? Your choice. <laughs>